What does it take to turn around a fleet with a sagging safety record? Hi, I'm Jim Park. This episode of HDT Talks Trucking looks at some of the steps fleets can take to claw their way back from the abyss. Under the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's Compliance, Safety and Accountability Program, fleets live and die by their CSA basic scores. CSA considers nearly everything a fleet does, including on-road safety performance, driver profiles, compliance audit results, and of course the number and severity of crashes the fleet has. It doesn't take much to slip down into the risky category, and it's a long, hard climb back to respectability. Recently, the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute looked at a diverse group of failing fleets that have turned themselves around using various strategies. Speaking at Bobbitt's Fleet Safety Conference, Virginia Tech senior researcher Matt Camden shared the results of those case studies. He's our guest on this episode of HDT Talks Trucking. He'll tell us how changing driver hiring policies, building a better fleet safety culture, and adopting some advanced safety technology can all contribute to improved safety performance and better CSA scores. We'll be back with Matt in just a moment. Stay with us. This HDT Talks Trucking podcast is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX is a -a one-of-a-kind event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us May 6th, 7th, and 8th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HDTX 2020. So we're at uh, day two of the uh, Bobbitt Fleet Safety Conference here in Las Vegas. Uh, Just attended a session called Strategies to Reduce Crashes, presented by Matt Camden from the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute. We've got Matt Camden sitting with us now, and we're going to go over that presentation a bit and pick out some highlights. Uh, Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How does the fleet get to the point where it realizes it has to start making some changes? Yeah, I think there's, uh, at least the fleets we talked to, there's a lot of different choices. Some of them were forced to make some changes, whether that was because FMCSA came and told them that they were pretty risky compared to their peers. Uh, Some of the other ones, their insurance companies said, hey, you guys could do a lot better or else you're going to have to find a new insurer. Um, Other fleets were already doing things pretty well, uh, but they were looking at their own data, how many crashes they were having, and tried to find ways that they could improve uh, on things that they were already doing. So these fleets that you eventually selected to uh, to study in, how did you come to that group? Just to give us a bit of background, that these weren't kind of random walking off the street and say, hi, what can we do for you sort of things. Yeah, that's a great question. So we talked to a number of heavy vehicle insurers to see if they had fleets that met our criteria for having significant safety improvement. We also talked to a number of the state trucking associations to see if they knew of fleets who had seen significant safety improvements. Uh, We also talked to a number of our fleet contacts in the industry. And we looked at some of the media out there to identify any fleets that had been recognized for significant safety improvement. And through that group, you found the ones that uh, were worth looking further at. Yeah, absolutely. So we probably talked to around 20 fleets initially. Um, through our conversations with them, we finally identified nine that met our criteria for having significant safety improvement and also were interested in, in having in-depth conversations with us. One of the things I think with the uh, FMCSA basic scores is they take a long time to change. 
Do the fleets get discouraged at some point where they see their performance day to day on the street? I'm, I'm sure they get they they get discouraged because oftentimes fleets will will try to implement something and they don't see immediate results. Uh, what we say to them in our consultations or, or research is, you know, it's understandable to to get discouraged, but safety improvement, especially when we're talking about culture change, it takes a long time. So we encourage them to just stick with it. Uh, we provide information on, on the research saying that you know, these technologies do work, if we're talking about technologies, or these management practices do work. Um, just, just stick with it, and uh, you're hopefully going to see the benefits eventually, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Did you have any indication or clues from the fleets you talked to as to why they chose specific strategies, whether it was a technology ad, uh, adaptation, specific technologies they brought in, or what was their choice? Yeah, so this really varied for each of the nine companies we talked to. Uh, one company in particular that comes to mind is, is they were having some issues with the number of rearing crashes rear that ends, they okay. were experiencing. So that company in particular uh, started looking at automatic emergency braking. Uh, that fleet you know, pilot tested the program or, or pilot tested the technology, uh, saw a, a good benefit from that pilot test and decided to implement it fleet-wide anytime they were purchasing new trucks uh, to cycle through. Um, so, so that fleet you know, saw their need on rear ends, found a technology solution to address it. Um, other fleets uh, that we talked to were a little bit different. So, so one fleet in particular was having issues with uh, their hiring criteria. Uh, they, they, weren't, or they were thinking that they were getting uh, not the best drivers because they started to make exceptions to their uh, initial hiring criteria. Uh, so, so that fleet um, decided to kind of change it up. They got a new head of safety and that head of safety brought in a different approach stricter hiring criteria, no exceptions to it. Um, and they started to see significant improvement in terms of the safety of their drivers. Did you hear anything in these conversations about the struggle between productivity, utilization, keeping the trucks moving, having unseated trucks, and maybe not the driver you'd really, really like to hire, but we need to keep that truck moving? Yeah, we did hear about it. It was a common theme. Uh, we know that a lot of fleets are struggling to, to get drivers in there. Uh, what was interesting was that the majority of the fleets we talked to said that they would rather have their truck sitting instead of having a bad, unsafe driver in that driver's seat because if that driver gets into a crash, that truck's going to be out of service anyways. They're going to have to pay uh, any liability uh, associated with that. They're going to have to hire a new driver anyways because that driver would most likely either be injured or fired. Um, so uh, the companies, most of the companies we talked to, um, stuck to their guns, stuck to those strict hiring criteria, even if it meant having one of their trucks sitting. Um, they, uh, companies said that for the most part, they were able to get a driver. Um, that truck didn't have to sit idle for too long and they were able to find, find a driver you know, fairly quickly. In the size of the fleets that you were studying, there was groups, uh, I think you said over a thousand or more or less than 50. Yes. So that's a pretty broad uh, fleet yes. profile. Did the approach to this issue vary much between, or based on fleet size? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, one of the fleets we talked to had over a thousand trucks. Um, a lot of them had between 100 and, and 500 trucks. Um, one of them did have about 20 trucks. So yeah, as you mentioned, that's a huge difference. And the strategies, the specific strategies did vary a little bit 
between that, that fleet that had 20 trucks and, and the fleet that had over 1,000 trucks. One in particular was that the fleet that had 20 trucks was able to really create a family environment within the fleet where every single person in that organization knew every single driver by name, by mm -hmm. first name. Uh, so that fleet in particular said that that family environment really did help. Um, but at the same time, the, the big, large fleet, uh, they also had or trying to create a family environment in each terminal, uh, the people in that fleet knew the drivers by name, were there to help uh, address any concerns that those fleets had. So even though the specific strategies did vary, there were common themes across the, the various uh, fleets regardless of size. Even the smaller fleet with, with 20 trucks were still testing out these advanced safety technologies that we do know cost a lot of money. So mm -hmm. even the smaller fleet, was making the investment, had the management buy-in to try out these advanced safety technologies to put that money up front because they were seeing significant reductions associated with those technologies. Amongst the drivers themselves, uh, obviously buy-in to a plan like this is pretty important. And depending on how, I'll use the word invasive, the technology is, uh, if it's an emergency braking system, it's there, it works, or it doesn't. Uh, but when you start putting cameras on people, um, there's got to be some pushback. Is there a pattern to who resists that? Like older drivers, you know, I've been there, done that 20 years, you know, what are you putting a camera on me for? How do you convince them that this is for everybody's, in everybody's best interest? Yeah, that's a great question. The number one comment or concern we get when, when we do similar presentations at conferences is how do we get drivers to be willing to accept the N-word facing camera? Um, and I don't think that there's one demographic that's more resistant than okay. others. Um, now, one of the fleets in particular that we talked to used the driver-facing camera, um, and they provided a pretty interesting story. They, they implemented the technology across their entire fleet. It was about 100 trucks. Um, two months after implementing, one of their 100 trucks was involved in a serious crash. Okay. That serious crash was not the driver's fault. The driver was doing things correctly, um, paying attention, wasn't fatigued, wasn't distracted, uh, and, and they responded appropriately. So the fleet had the video. And the next day after that crash, that fleet was approached by a lawyer from the other driver and was notified that they were gonna be sued. Well, that fleet had that video. They sent it over to the defendant or the, the plaintiff's, the plaintiff's lawyer. Attorneys, yeah. And that suit went away that day. They never heard from that lawyer ever again. <laughs> so when the other drivers found out about this event, found out that that video system potentially saved you know, them from being sued, from them being going to jail, mm -hmm. the flea manager we talked to at that company said every single driver from that point forward wanted and asked for that technology to be in their truck. Okay. So you know, I, I think that that's one of the ways that that we can get over the hump of get drivers to be accepted. It's for them to realize that, yes, this technology is looking at them, um, but it's not there to catch them doing things wrong. It's there to help them be a better driver, to be safer. And it also provides the benefit of protecting them in the cases of these false allegations. Uh, as a follow-up to this study, we're actually doing, doing a second study with the National Safety Council to, to talk to drivers talk to drivers that have these inward-facing cameras, but also talk to drivers who don't have inward-facing cameras to figure out what their concerns are. We have a good idea of what 
the majority of their concerns are. Uh, but we want to talk to them, uh, see if there's anything that fleets can do to help mitigate some of those concerns. Are there any um, conditions that, that would help make them more willing or more accepting of these technologies? Uh, and try to talk to drivers and get some video testimonials of drivers who have had um, really good experiences with them. Because I, th I think that these technologies, specifically the video-based ones, have shown significant reductions and they are associated with positive safety benefits and cost savings associated with getting rid of false allegations. Because I'm sure most of your listeners have been accused at some point of causing a crash when they really didn't. So having the objective data and video evidence saying that you know, we're doing things right, you know, it wasn't our fault, can come in handy down the line. Um, another major benefit of, of the video-based systems is even if your driver did cause that crash, uh, we know that if you have video evidence saying that, you know, yes, we were responsible, you can settle that case very quickly instead of it going to jury and having that verdict be exponentially higher. So even in the cases of you are responsible for a crash, it can still save your company a significant amount of money by, by settling quickly. Uh, just a reminder, we're talking with uh, Matt Camden of the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute, and we're talking about strategies that fleets can uh, adopt to help reduce crashes. We're gonna take a short break, or we'll be back with Matt in just a minute. Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange is put on by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine and our host suppliers. Our editors have decades of experience with trucking fleets, and we've used that insight to develop an event that you'll find truly worthwhile. If you qualify, we'll bring you and a few dozen other fleet managers to a luxury resort in Scottsdale, Arizona for a jam-packed session of networking, education, and fun. It all happens in a friendly, intimate environment that lets you build relationships and bring home ideas that you can put to work, making your business more successful. Go to HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com to learn more and to apply for your spot at HDTX 2020. Okay, we're back with Matt Camden of the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute, and we're talking about uh, strategies fleets can adapt to help try and reduce their crash rates. Uh, we've just been talking about uh, driver-facing cameras. Uh, what about the forward-facing cameras? Are, are they always used in combination, or can you have a forward-facing camera by itself? Yeah, that's a great question. So there is a lot of vendors out there. Uh, every year we, we find out more vendors are offering these, these types of monitoring systems. Um, some of them do offer strictly the forward-facing camera. Um, other, other fleets or other technology providers only offer a system that includes both cameras. Um, so it really depends on who the manufacturer is. Uh, some of the fleets we did talk to as part of this study did only use that forward-facing camera. So some fleets um, do, do choose to go that route, other fleets choose to have both. And it's really up to um, how willing they want to go with the technology and what their needs are. Okay. Um, can you, is it possible even to say which of the technologies produce the best results or is it fleet dependent and application specific stuff? Yeah, I, I think it would be really hard to say which technology worked the best. I think they all worked for the fleets because the fleets were very selective in choosing the right technology to begin with to address their needs. Uh, some of the fleets used all of the technologies and saw fairly significant reduction in crashes. Uh, a fleet that used 
a combo system of AEB, lane departure warning, blind spot, monitoring, and video saw a 36% reduction in their FMCSA reportable crashes. That's significant. Yeah, so this yeah. is a significant reduction in, in those serious types of crashes. Um, other fleets only used one or, or just a couple of them. So I think the, the main thing was is that they looked at their needs and chose an appropriate technology and it worked. Okay. We'll talk about driver training and, and coaching in just a second, but if you were to stack up the technology on one side and the, 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 the human component, the training, the encouragement, the coaching, the mentoring on the other side, is one more effective than the other or are they both more effective when they're combined? Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually have to say they're both dependent on each other. Um, I don't think that we can implement a technology in the absence of appropriate driver training or appropriate driver hiring. We're just not gonna see nearly as good of results as if we use them together. And then vice versa, we can have great drivers and they're gonna be safe and we can do really good training. And yeah, that is gonna produce some safety benefits. But if we use them both in combination, I think is where we're really gonna see the big impacts on, on crash reductions. Okay. So as far as the training itself goes, um, you're dealing with drivers that have a CDL. They're licensed truck drivers. They're out there working every day. Uh, most of them probably have an inflated sense of how good they are as drivers. But when it comes to driving, how do you identify a good driver who perhaps has never had the opportunity to have his or her skills tested in that sort of way? Or are, the other adage is, are you a driver with 20 years experience or a driver with one year experience 20 times over? Sure. How do you develop these skills in people who have never had to put them to the test or evaluate them? Yeah, it's a great question and a great point. Um, I think at least some of the companies we talked to and some of the fleets we talked to with this study were using driving simulators to help get at those very rare but very dangerous situations mm -hmm. that some drivers can go their entire life without experiencing. Um, so two of the companies we talked to were using driving simulators. So they were able to bring the drivers in, recreate very serious crashes, run off the road types of crashes, um, rear end types of crashes, uh, things that usually result in serious you know, injuries or fatalities. So by using the driving simulator, they were able to run that driver through that type of crash and teach that driver how to respond appropriately to help mitigate the consequences of that crash. It's hard to say, in real life, when that time comes, is that driver gonna be able to use that previous experience? Um, one of the fleets that were, was using a driving simulator gave us some insight into that. So one of the drivers was trained on how to prevent rollover crashes. Um, a couple years after going through the simulator training, that driver was involved in a near rollover crash. And that driver did say, came back to the safety manager and said, because I went through that simulator training, I was able to respond and prevent that rollover crash. So just some anecdotal evidence mm -hmm. showing that, you know, there is some benefit of, of having drivers and giving drivers experience in a non-threatening environment by using a simulator. Yeah. Some of those skills can translate uh, to when they're in that emergency situation behind the wheel. Um, well, my dad was a pilot with you know, major airline and they did simulator training all the time, all emergency procedure stuff that you hope never happens, lose an engine on takeoff, whatever. Um, I don't know too many fleets who do that sort of preemptive training, like you said, rollover. Bring the driver in, simulate the rollover, 
uh, and then hopefully it never happens. But if you've never had that experience or that training before, never seen the situation developing in front of your eyes, it's why don't more fleets do it? Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know too many fleets that, that use that technology either. I think that it may come down to cost. Uh, I think these simulators are pretty expensive. Um, it's possible in the future some you know, training organizations will start to use simulators more. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. So I, I think that, yeah, it comes down to cost, but hopefully we can start showing some benefits of using these types of technologies out there um, to help our drivers out. Cost is a big factor. Do you have any ballpark numbers uh, of what some of these fleets invested in their safety programs, whether it's technology or training or you know hours on a simulator? Do you have any number we can throw out on the table to what a fleet can look at spending? Yeah, and this is very, very fleet dependent. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the cost of a, a driving simulator. The fleets we talked to didn't share that information. Um, through our previous work on advanced safety technologies, we know that the cost of AEB, for instance, is hugely varying based on how many trucks you have, You know what kind of discounts you can get from uh, that OEM or, or truck manufacturer. So uh, just based on an average for AEB, uh, we've seen an average cost of about $2,500 added onto the price of the truck. Okay. Lane departure warning, we've seen an average cost of about $1,000 per truck. Um, again, this, this is widely varied. Some fleets saw much higher costs, some actually saw much lower costs. Yep. Um, Video-based technologies, and this is an evolving field. Um, we know that the hardware can be you know, 50 to 200 or $300. There's a monthly cost associated with some of these vendors uh, for them to review the data, to provide you with uh, some types of coding of what types of events. But other ones may not provide that service. They just offer, here's a video, we'll save it on our cloud, we can send it to you. The cost really varies by what types of services they're offering. And it's hard to get a, a firm or average cost for, for the driver monitoring systems. All right, so before we wrap up, um, any final words, uh, you know, push, encouragement? How do you get fleets to, you know, get to this situation before their safety record goes south on them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing is to be proactive in identifying ways for your fleet to be able to, to get better. Um, you all have data out there. There's all these hardware and software installed on all of our trucks now that are providing enormous amounts of data. Most of your technology providers can sift through that data for you and, and give you some easily digestible information on what's going on in your truck. So I encourage the fleets to, to look at that data to identify where are some areas that you can improve. What are your major risk factors? What are the major things your drivers are doing that are causing crashes? And focus on that low-hanging fruit. Look at the things that your drivers can prevent and identify solutions, whether that's technology, whether that's training, whether that's recognition. Um, and, and tackle those things first, because those are the things you can, you can see fairly quick turnaround and improvement on. Matt, thanks. That's a great, uh, great conversation. I sure appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been talking with Matt Camden, a senior researcher at the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute. I hope you found something in that conversation that you can use to improve your own fleet's safety performance. HTT Talks Trucking was brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange an intimate networking event that takes place May 6th, 7th, and 8th in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to hear what past attendees took home from the event and to apply to be our guest at HDTX 2020. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine, the Fleet Business Authority, is published by Bobbitt Business Media. Leave a web browser open on your computer to truckinginfo.com for up-to-the-minute industry news as well as feature articles, videos, photo galleries, white papers, and our ever-popular editor blogs. You can leave questions and comments on the HDT Talks Trucking homepage. That's truckinginfo.com slash podcasts. Please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners to find us. Thanks to my guest, Matt Camden, and our sponsor, Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. I'm Jim Park. Thanks to you for listening. Mm-hmm.